You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, uh, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am uh, Jason Whitlock. Happy Wednesday, happy uh, Tennessee Harmony Day uh, to you and yours. Uh, I've been traveling. We had some technical difficulties on Monday that kept us off the air. I was down in Florida. Delano Squires did an awesome job filling in for me yesterday. But now you're stuck with me. I'm back. Uh, and we have a great show. Uh, for you today, and we're gonna start uh, with me talking about Nick Saban. And we're gonna do that with uh, TJ Moe and Delano Squires, they're both still here. Uh, later in the show, uh, Shamika Michelle, she's also here in Nashville, she's honored us uh, with her presence, and we're gonna talk a couple of viral uh, TikTok or just viral videos. One is Jada Pinkett Smith uh, talking some more nonsense. Uh, just letting us know how weird uh, you have to be to be a major star in Hollywood. She talks about her grandmother, I think, teaching her to pleasure herself as a nine-year-old. Uh, and then there's a, a viral TikTok video of a gay black man responding to something Dr. Umar Johnson said. Uh, and this has got a bunch of likes, retweets, everybody loves this video. Uh, Shamika Michelle, Rashad McCants, and Delano and I will break that down a little later in the show. Um, and then, of course, uh, Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony will be here for some Tennessee Harmony. We're going to talk about something in that segment near and dear to my heart. Anybody that's followed me on this show or followed me on social media know that I discovered a uh, minister at the beginning of COVID out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, by the name of Mike Todd. He's one of the most talented young ministers uh, I've ever encountered. I've enjoyed his work since discovering him in you know March or April. Well, it had to be April because I think the first sermon of his that I, I watched was an Easter, uh, his Easter sermon in 2020. It was incredible. and. You people have seen me tweet about him. Uh, I've mentioned him on this show. Uh, I've sent his sermons to family members and friends. Uh, Mike Todd has stepped in it this week, this past Sunday. Uh, he smeared spit on the face of someone in his congregation to make a point about how nasty it gets when uh, God sends you a message and so, this shook me up this weekend when I saw this trending on Sunday and on Monday. And, and so I got to talk about it with uh, Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony. Uh, Delano's also going to have a take on that. Uh, I can't 
wait to do that. And then uh, one other topic I'm going to get in with these guys is just about how the word inclusion and inclusivity is being used uh, to, in my view, to undermine the church and to underline a biblical worldview and, and principles and things that had, had been long established. And so I want to get a biblical take from two experts on where does God stand on inclusion and inclusivity? If, if my memory serves me right, and Delano just chime in here, I think you and I have talked about this at, at some point about inclusivity and just how uh, like religion and faith and God's view isn't as inclusive right. as we're making it out to be. Right. Uh, God actually has some boundaries, boundaries, rules and regulations. <laughs> and so, uh, but we'll, we'll hear from Anthony and Bobby. Uh, but first I want to start uh, by talking about Nick Saban, the Alabama football coach who uh, has thrown his name into the political arena by signing his name to a letter asking for uh, Joe Manchin, the senator out of West Virginia, uh, who's turned into a real thorn in the side for Joe Biden and the Democratic Party uh, because he refuses to back down on the filibuster. And now uh, Nick Saban, it, it made big news all yesterday. Nick Saban and Jerry West, the former NBA great, uh, they're both from Virginia originally, or from West Virginia originally, and they signed a letter asking Joe Manchin to support uh, either the John Lewis Voting Rights Act or the Freedom to Vote Voting Rights Act. I'm not, there's two bills, I'm not sure what they're calling them, but they're asking Joe Manchin and I think Kirsten Sinema, another Democrat who won't back down on the filibuster. She's not for throwing the filibuster away the way the Democrats are. But Saban and Jerry West, to a lesser degree, made big news by asking Joe Manchin uh, to support the, this voting rights deal. And the media, of course, ignored the fact that uh, Saban added a note that he's for keeping the filibuster. And I think my understanding is Joe Manchin's going to support the Voting Rights Act or whatever the Democrats are imposing, implementing, or trying to implement. He's just not for tossing away the filibuster. And so in order to get this thing passed, uh, you have to toss out the filibuster because the Republicans are gonna use it to stop the bill from getting passed in the Senate. And so Nick Saban has signed his name to a letter. It's almost like he wrote a letter uh, to me saying, Jason, uh, I want to support you. I want you to continue to support McDonald's. Well, I was going to do that anyway. I didn't need uh, a letter from Jerry West and Nick Saban Demand, you know, that steakhouse you love, Kane Prime, we want you to continue to support. I, I was going to do it. It, it. And so why the media has played this up, I think, is obvious because the media loves to turn, uh, take everything out of context and turn everything in the sports world highly political. But today I'm really not even that upset with the media. The media is going to do what the media does. 
My issue is Nick Saban. Nick Saban is playing a game for recruiting advantage. Nick Saban uh, has come out pro-Black Lives Matter. He's come out pro-vaccine. And now he's made this big public ado about coming out pro-voting rights. And I'm not sure if Nick Saban believes in any of it. I think he knows that this serves him well over social media. I think he knows that this keeps critics at bay, the people that hate football and the people that hate people like Nick Saban, very conservative, very conservative. I I would, perhaps it's all speculation on my part, but I don't think Nick Saban voted for Hillary Clinton. I tend to think he, I tend to doubt whether he voted for Joe Biden. Nick, but Nick Saban's very clever. How do I keep social media off me? How do I keep uh, the black woke sports media and perhaps some moms off my back? Well, let me take some calculated stances that portray me as woke and watch all the media celebrate me. I was looking at it over Twitter and just all these sheep were like, man, Nick Saban, he's pro-BLM, he's pro-vax, and he's pro-voting rights. Everybody's falling for the garbage. And it it bothers me that from Saban, who's had all of this incredible success, he's the Bill Belichick of college football. But just like Bill Belichick, and just like Tom Brady, and just like many people in the sport, Drew Brees, none of these guys have the courage to back up their convictions. They fold. They're afraid of the woke mob. And so when we are on this show virtually every day talking about being fearless and the weakness of men, This is what I'm talking about, about why the world is falling, is men will not stand on the things that they believe. They will stand on whatever protects their paycheck, and it does not matter how much money they've made, how much success they've had. Nick Saban has all the money any man could ever spend in his life. He has all the acclaim. His reputation and legacy in college football are set in stone but he's so uh, afraid of losing his grip on college football, losing, taking a back seat perhaps to Dabble Sweeney or uh, Kirby Smart or Jim Harbaugh or whomever, that all the titles, six, seven national titles, uh, all the money that he's made, he's gotta be worth close to $100 million by this point. it doesn't matter. Same goes for Bill Belichick. Bill Bel- we know Bill Belichick's a concern, but he's not gonna stand on anything that risks getting on the crossways with social media. Same thing I say about Tom Brady. Love him to death, but weak and cowardly as it relates to the vaccine, as it relates to his political beliefs. We've watched everybody fold. Everybody fold. This. <clears throat> scam that they're running on this voting rights deal is 
the Democrats, and, and again, I've been traveling, I don't want to make excuses because I have given this a lot of thought, but I'm not going to write my column about this until later today. I normally like to write my column first, then deliver, because the column makes me really, really think. But, but all yesterday and today, all of my thoughts are about what the Democrats are doing as it relates to voting rights and as, as it relates to what they're doing in this era, in this specific time in America. It's almost like, it, it, to make a golf analogy, they want a mulligan on racism. They blew it. The Democrats blew it during the Civil War, and they blew it during the Civil Rights Movement. And they want a mulligan. And so what they're doing is they're trying to create the belief that it's the 1950s and 60s all over again. And oh my God, if we don't pass this John Lewis Act, black people won't be able to vote. It's, and I'm 54 years old. I've lived in South Carolina. I've lived in Kansas City, Missouri. I've lived in California. I've lived in Indiana. Have I missed, and now I live in Tennessee. I have not run into in my family or any people that I've dealt with in any of those states, I haven't run into black people that have told, man, I tried to vote in that last election and man, the white supremacists just stopped me. I couldn't vote. Wow. Oh, if we don't do something, Next time, how, I mean, I've just been denied this vote. That's what was going on in America in the 1900s, all the way up through pretty much the Voting Rights Act. Black people's voting rights were in real jeopardy. I'm not saying that right now they're 100% safe, because maybe there is. I've had people try to convince me that, you know, our voting rights are flimsy or whatever, but I just haven't run into these people who are being denied the opportunity to vote. And so when black people were being denied the opportunity to vote, systemically, the Democratic Party was nowhere to be found. When we were enslaved, the Democratic Party, nowhere to be found. When the KKK was lynching black people to intimidate them in the ways that they voted or to keep them in line. The Democratic Party was nowhere to be found. And so here we are in 2021. Uh, what is that? Now we're five years removed from Barack Obama's presidency. Now our voting rights are so in jeopardy that if they don't pass this specific law, who knows if we'll ever be able to vote again. Now that we're five years removed from having a two-term black president, our, our current president is holding speeches and rallies telling America that the greatest threat to America is white supremacy. Joe Biden has been in political office, I believe, for 48 years. 48 years ago, he had an opportunity to give speeches and say, Woo, this white supremacy, we gotta do something about it. He didn't do that at that time. He called the desegregation of schools. He didn't want his kids going to racial jungles. 
He, he ran around and, and celebrated Robert Byrd, a member of the KKK, when it was time to step up and let your little boys hang. Joe Biden was nowhere to be found. And now in 2021, when Dr. Dre and Snoop and Mary J. Blige are the halftime show of the Super Bowl, the greatest, most powerful event we have, they're gonna let a bunch of clown rappers come on and cuss and do all, but black cultures baked it, whatever, what they're calling black cultures, baked into the greatest event that we put on. And we're supposed to believe, we're supposed to go for the, now Joe Biden has found his voice. And oh, this white supremacy, we just gotta stop it, the Proud Boys. They're just gonna mess this whole thing up. This man was alive when the KKK was burning crosses and killing black folks at random, at, and he said nothing. There, this is Groundhog Day. This is, this is, oh, man, we blew it. <clears throat> so let's use social media. Let's use Facebook, Twitter, Google, uh, corporate media to make everybody believe it's 1955. And now I've found my voice. Me and Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is Martin Luther King and Joe Biden is JFK. And they're meeting over ham hocks and chitlins to fix this mess. I mean, this is crazy. And it's so, and for Nick Saban to lend his voice to this kind of lunacy, and he knows it's crazy. He's a coward. And all of us, I, I'm just ashamed of men. I, I really am. Because I couldn't imagine having all of that money, all of that acclaim and success, and still being afraid to say what I think. I don't have half of that. And I could care less if everybody over social media hates me. Nick Saban, I, I think, fronts like he's got some, some spiritual beliefs, that he believes in God. So w w why be in fear? And you know, as, the more, I, I'm gonna have to get to this with uh, Bobby and Anthony <clears throat> at the end of the day, I'm gonna bring TJ and Delano into this, but this is why I think the Bible talks about, uh, a, it'll be harder for a, a camel has a better chance of getting through the eye of a needle than a rich man seeing the gates of heaven. Because this is what wealth does to you. And I guess, uh, some degree I, I, I'm wealthy, but trust me, I'm not wealthy like these people. And I, I really, I, I think I don't wanna be. Because I look at these people and they've lost their mind, they've lost all their backbone. They, they have enough money and success and have accomplished enough, they could just stand on truth and they and their family would be fine. 
But in order to maintain this popularity over social media and make sure that recruits are all good with them, little kids are all good with them and want to continue to come to Alabama, yeah, Joe Manchin, you know that vote you were going to cast for the voting rights bill? Go ahead and cast it. <laughs> Real courage, Nick Saban. Uh, who wants to jump in here, Delano, TJ? Who wants to go first? You got it, TJ. Well, in uh, Joe Biden's defense, he, the way his brain's working these days, he probably does think it's 1970. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's our start there. Uh, you know, I actually have a sneaky suspicion that Nick Saban is a Democrat. Hmm. Based on all of this behavior, what self-respecting Republican would lead a BLM march, hmm. would come out and give a PSA for everyone, not just your players and coaches like, like Bruce Arians did, Everybody in Alabama, he said, we need to fill the stadium, go out and get your vaccine so we can be done with this, and then come out with this, with this bill. I mean, I've, you know, it's like an 800-page bill, so I haven't read the whole thing, but it is, it is federalizing elections. It is, it is basically making what happened in 2020 permanent. So I, I would make the argument that Nick Saban's cowardice would be only stating these things now that it's convenient to do it. I, I, I don't think he's any less of a coward than you do. I just actually think that, I think he's a, a quote, moderate Democrat. I think he's Joe Manchin. I tend to think Joe Manchin has some cowardice in him too. If you followed the Kavanaugh hearings, it wasn't until, uh, it wasn't until he was basically confirmed that he said, oh yeah, I, I'm voting for him too. I think Manchin's got some cowardice in him as well. Um, he, he has a backbone where it matters today. I think politically, Nick Saban's in the same spot. And so, the cowardice is there, but, it, but, but I view it a little bit differently. Let me ask you this, TJ, as a follow-up. Does Nick Saban believe, because see, he's certainly a coward, but I'm not sure if he's a Democrat. I believe he thinks that the only way to be a, a successful head coach in this time is to be a Democrat. And so if that's what it takes to be successful, that's what he'll do. Fair enough. I think that's true. But I, but I would question the need for signing this, this letter. There's no upside for him. In fact, the discussion today is... No upside. Is the Social upside. media loves him. Yeah. yeah, except the footnote is what made all of the discussion out. It turned immediately to saying what you and I, the conversation you just had. So you're saying sign something that you already were going to sign, but you don't want to do what it takes to get this into law. And so Manchin came out, that was the first thing he said. He gave the out to Manchin on this letter. If you want to be a conspiracy theorist, Nick Saban was doing his boy a, a favor here, giving him the out to say, yeah, Nick Saban, the most important guy on this letter, wrote a footnote at the bottom and said, don't do away with the filibuster. He agrees with me. And now that's the conversation. Hmm. So <laughs> the way you, you um, phrased one of the questions to TJ, you said, I'm not sure if he's a coward or a Democrat. I was wondering, well, which one do you think would be worse in this, <laughs> in this situation? I, I'll say this. I, I don't know Saban's political leanings. Um, my general sense is that football coaches seem to lean more conservative, uh, certainly than their, than their basketball counterparts. But I do think there's, there's a, a way in which even conservatives want to be seen as sympathetic to certain issues, right? And after 2020... Um, a lot of people after, you know, George Floyd was killed, it's like, there's a lot of energy and I can see them wanting to say, you know what, we stand with our players, we support our players. And I think a lot of people just got swept up in that um, sort of sea of emotion. It's easier to do that um, 
the less information you have on a particular topic. And as you said, if the bill is 800 pages, there's no way he's read it because there's no way most of the legislators have read it. So he's basically relying on people that he trusts. And he probably says, tell me what, what's going on here. And they say, this is going to help secure our democracy. This is going to help secure the vote. So on, so on and so forth. And he says, that sounds like a good idea. Put my name on the letter. And, and to me, that would be the straightest line in, or the shortest line between those two points in terms of how you get a coach like Saban to sign on to something like this. Um, my issue is, um, and I think we, we've seen this particularly in the era of Colin Kaepernick, the injection of partisan politics into every single area of life and particularly into sports, I think is a net negative for society. Sports is one of the few things that brings together people with different skin colors and different backgrounds and different economic classes. And the playing field, no pun intended, in this area is not equal. If Colin Kaepernick had done his protests and he said, I'm kneeling because one of my brothers in arms, Edwin Jackson, a linebacker for the Colts, was killed by somebody in this country illegally, someone who'd been deported twice, and I want to stand up for you know, tougher immigration laws. There's no way ESPN would have been slobbering him for four years. So even in this case, a person like Belichick or Brady or, or Saban does not have the same space to articulate their political views as Steve Kerr or Greg Popovich or, you know, you know, whoever left of center, you know, coach or player. And I, I think that's a problem. And I think we are going to destroy sports in this country if we keep using it as a vehicle to push political agendas. The, the, the thing that, and I agree with you in terms of where I think we're way out over our skis, injecting this into sports. And I say this fondly, I'm not trying to diminish people, but I'm just trying to be accurate as well. Jim, uh, Nick Saban is a gym teacher. He's whoever your junior high gym instructor was, that's who Nick Saban is. And that gym instructor uh, teaches PE, physical education. And so when you had political questions, you didn't go to your gym teacher. Right. There were other teachers that you would run those questions by. And athletes, and I used to be one. I'm just collectively, we're not the best students, collectively. There will be some outliers and some guys on the team that, you know, care and study and have good grades. But for the most part, we do what's necessary to stay eligible and survive. And then at the end of our careers, a light bulb may or may not go off. And I'll be like, whoa, well, I missed a lot of stuff, but let me play catch That's what happened to me. I had to play catch up. And uh, so I just think we got a bunch of gym teachers and a bunch of jocks at the forefront of these political discussions. And it's a joke to me. I would make the argument that this is not going away. And they've seen the success in the social media and uh, like Colin Kaepernick is, is just the first. It's going to keep coming. The only way to win this battle is for conservatives to stop being cowards. Drew Brees absolutely crushed us by backing down. And we, we have seen it. Uh, Mike Gundy crushed us by backing down with his OAN shirt. You go down the line, every time a conservative does something moderately conservative, hey, I think you should stand for the flag. My grandfather would appreciate that. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I was so uninformed. Right. So every time you retreat, you make it more difficult for us to advance. And so if the, if, if 
the MVP of the league, a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl winner, and one of the all-time greatest quarterbacks to ever. Like, if, if he can't stand up to it, we're all screwed. So conservative men who have had a chance to stand up and have their opinion heard the same way that the liberals have, have all backed down. And that's our biggest problem. The battle's not going away. we got to start fighting it. And, and, and it can't just be the guys like, you know, Jonathan Isaacs and Ennis Cantor, right, who sort of low-level, mid-level players in their respective sports. You, you need um, a top sort of marquee guy to make this change. I mean, LeBron didn't, James didn't even do this a, f- a few weeks ago when he posted a meme with the Spider-Mans pointing at each other, you know, COVID or flu or cold. <clears throat> And immediately, they said, Kareem, we need you to get LeBron back in back in the <laughs> and Here comes Kareem in the LA Times, right? Huh? And LeBron said, oh, I was just questioning it. Okay, so LeBron, LeBron is, is back in his place. So it's one of those things where, again, there are no incentives for conservative athletes or even public figures to speak up on these issues. But as TJ said, we, we need that courage because, I mean, everything in sports now is, is sort of serving a, a, a leftist narrative and agenda. And obviously the, the biggest thing is, is COVID. Um, the voting rights thing is, is obviously another one. I mean, look at what they did to, to the state of Georgia. Georgia wanted to pass you know, so, um, some voting laws that would require ID and change you know, a, a few other things around the fridges. And they made it, President Biden at the time, this is going to be Jim Crow 2.0. This is going to be Jim, Jim Eagle. This is going to make Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. And the president did it again this past week when he was in Georgia. Um, he talked about this is going to be Jim Crow. He tweeted about this is Jim Crow 2.0. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to me, the, the most frustrating part about it is I know who he's talking to when he's using those term, that terminology, right? Who's he talking to? He is speaking, well, he's trying to, to play on the history of black Americans in this country and make an emotional play. This is what I call the Selma syndrome, using actual history in an emotional, manipulative way to move forward his own political agenda. And I, w- I would liken it to if someone uh, uh, adopted a kid who had been abandoned right, by their parents, and every time you wanted them to get in, in line and get in order, you said, you better straighten up or I'll leave you at the bus station. Right? You, you, you're making an emotional play based on that child's history to get them to do what you want them to do. And I feel less despicable, despicable, to be quite frank. Well, I also find it despicable because I like your analogy of a child, but I'm not a child. And once you're 18 and eligible to vote, you're not a child either. Mm-hmm. So why are you tolerating people treating you as a child and playing a game? How come you're not clever enough, smart enough, bold enough? Because, and, and maybe we're not... And that's what we're trying to do on this show is try to explain to people, hey, this isn't just leftist. This isn't just liberal. This isn't just progressive. These things that are going on, a lot of them are an affront to a biblical worldview. Mm. They're at odds with your alleged stated religion. Mm -hmm. And and so. That's what I'm trying to appeal to people is, is, is say this assault on truth is, and again, if you believe anything the Bible tells you about the truth setting you free and that, you know, you got to at some point see that like someone standing at a podium saying that white supremacy in 2021 mm-hmm. 
is the greatest threat in America. 2022. 20, yeah, 2022. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. In America is, is, is like, well, hold on, man. This guy actually, if Joe Biden's like 80, so he was born in the 40s or maybe even the 30s. Mm-hmm. So he actually has lived and seen, he had a chance. He was in Congress for 47 years, I believe. He had a chance to say this stuff back when there were kernels of truth to it. Now he's saying it with, and I guess they've, January 6th is his, <laughs> did you see the attack on black people at the Capitol? Right. I mean, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I so, so, I, so I would say when, when I mentioned the Selma syndrome, there's, there's two sides of that coin. One is when Democrats, again, use our actual history, right? The, the history of black Americans in this country, which is American history, obviously, use that in an emotionally manipulative way. The flip side of that is the people that they're speaking to. So when not, you know, black folks vote sort of 90% for Democrats, so when you see your personal fortunes tied to a particular political party, then you, you are likely to respond to that. So Joe Biden, he, he sends out the bat signal, Jim Crow 2.0, um, they're taking us back to, you know, wanna put y'all in chains, and then the, the black voters respond to it and say, oh my gosh, look at what the Republicans are doing. They're, they're a white supremacist party. Um, they're, they're the party of uh, domestic terrorism. And, and we respond, and I think the, the whole point of it is to get us to, to come out and vote or to support legislation, much of which you know, the average person hasn't even read. So I mean, to me, as I said, that type of emotional manipulation is, is the worst way to go for politics. And I think the key, at least, again, as it relates to, to the voters and black voters, is to completely detach racial identity from Democratic Party affiliation. I'm not saying black folks shouldn't vote for Democrats. I'm saying I shouldn't see my survival as a black person in America as dependent on whether Joe Biden succeeds as president. That's what I'm saying. I, I think that this, the way they're using race mm. is no longer about getting black people to vote for Democrats. Mm. I don't think that's their primary objective. I actually think it's an appeal to white voters mm. to say, if you don't want to be seen as racist, <clears throat> you join, join the Democratic Party. You don't have to deal with that hassle. I was, yesterday, I was down in Florida and I was talking to a young woman. She was telling me about her husband and trying to get into dental school. And uh, her husband made the mistake of doing an internship with uh, the White House when Trump was in office. Uh Uh-oh. For four or five, six months. And dental schools were asking him questions. Not about his qualifications to get in their dental school, but you know, political questions. And so the, the appeal to white people is like, if you wanna have success on your job, if you wanna be, rise up in leadership in corporate America, hop on this democratic bandwagon because if you're one of them, you're a racist mm. and you're unqualified for leadership. Th- this, this is what, and J.D. Vance told me, you know, despair is a sin and it's really stuck with me. But, but it's why I 
am like, they've got this whole system rigged up in so many different ways to, if you stand on biblical principles, black or white, they're, oh, you're a conservative, and now your finances can be damaged Mm. uh, by that. Your ability to take care of your family. And then like for us, as, as black men, if you're attracted to black women, and, and you're a conservative, you're running around looking for unicorns. <laughs> in because black women, they're all into Kamala and Stacey Abrams. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and just so, literally, your finances and your sex life mm. are dependent to some degree on your political point of view. Mm-hmm. And that's for men in general, black, white, whomever. Uh, and that's why I'm like, oh my God, this thing is unstoppable. If money and sex are tied to it, mm. and 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 because again, what I'm looking at is is most people don't have the courage to just stand with their religious beliefs, yeah. and and it's 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 easy for me to say it as a single man with no kids and a really good bank account. I couldn't imagine if I were living check to check or month to month, the, you know, I would be, I would hop, I would be more apt to hop on board, I think. So I, I can respond to that as someone who has a wife and kids and, um, you know, an okay bank account. Um, for me, some of the guardrails that keep me on the straight and narrow, one, is, is, is my faith. I don't want to be found, you know, at the my end of my days with the Lord saying, depart from me, I never knew you. So, so that's, that's one guardrail. But the other one is, I got a wife I got to go home to every night. And I desire her respect. And if she sees me out here shucking and jiving, compromising myself, saying things that she knows I don't believe because she's heard most of my viewpoints before, I would hate to be a guy, you know, sometimes I, like a lot of these comedians, the Stephen Colbert's, and they, they bring on these politicians and they basically kiss their butt for 45 minutes. I don't want my wife to ever turn to me and say, what kind of man are you? Have you no self-respect? Have you no self-regard? And that is a, a, a great guardrail and a great motivator for me to always say things that I actually believe. It's fine if other people disagree with me. But I'm not about to go out here and lie just to, to suck up to somebody because they're in power. TJ, as a white guy, do you feel any of that pressure to, like, your life would be easier if you were a Democrat? Well, I think on, in the social media world, I think, I think the social media world, everybody's life is easier if they're a Democrat. Sure. I don't actually see that play out in the real world. In the business world, if, if you are... If you're a Democrat, a down-the-line Democrat, and your, your stated beliefs you try to enact in business, good luck with that. You know, you're probably not going to succeed. Most of the business world, the principles that they're applying are all conservative principles. And so, you know, I'm in the real estate world. I'm in the business world. I also live in Missouri, where Trump won by 15 points. Um, so I will tell you, I, I, think the <clears throat> I think there's a serious emotional plea that the Democrats, to, to your point, mm-hmm. it's emotional manipulation. And... I read a book from Brene Brown years ago, one of the better books I've ever read, called Daring Greatly. And she delineated the difference 
between guilt and shame. Mm. Guilt would be that you did something bad, you should fix that and move forward and we can all heal together. Shame is you are bad and you can't fix that. Right. And the Democrats look at white people and say, you are bad. You have wrecked the lives of the black people in this country. You will never recover from that. You need to dedicate your life to making that right. And so that's their emotional plea forever. And so you can't ever go with the Republicans who say, actually, I think Jason Whitlock can stand up on his own two feet. I think Delano Squires can stand up on his own two feet. And they're perfectly competent, both of them probably doing much better than I am. You should be able to say that. But you can't from the Democratic Party. They look at you and say... You're bad. Your ancestors are bad. You built this country on their back, and you can never get over that. So if you don't dedicate your life to fixing this, yeah. then you are the enemy. And so that's, that's the message I hear, and I don't think it's, it's a very compelling message, but it's manipulating enough to people who aren't willing to think through it. Mm. All right, we got to go. I got to keep it moving. I want to bring Shamika on and save some time for the ministers. Uh, but, guys, I want to tell you about my friends at Sweatbot. Uh, I think it was late last week. I was, some buddies talked me into re-engaging with the TV show Yellowstone. And if, I don't know, I'm sure most of our audience has heard of the show Yellowstone. Kevin Costner plays this rancher out in Wyoming or Idaho or somewhere, Montana, I can't remember. But I like the show. I dropped out after season two. I picked it up back season three. And I was watching Yellowstone, and it made me think of Sweatblock because uh, Kevin Costner's character had taken his grandson basically out on a camping trip. And so I'm watching this on this camping trip, and I used to, as a young person, I used to like to go camping. My father uh, sent us, me and my brother off to a camp. The only thing I hated about it was it's difficult to shower it's difficult if you're out camping for two or three days, if you're out hunting for a day or two or three, you're gonna sweat, you're gonna get smelly. And I was watching Yellowstone, I go, you know what Kevin Costner needs? He needs sweat block. That would really enhance a camping trip. And it made me think about our audience here at The Blaze. I keep telling you guys about sweat block and how it's helped me not worry about sweating when I'm on stage and under these lights. And I'm sitting there thinking about my audience. I go, most of you guys aren't gonna be on this stage under the lights dealing with this kind of stress. But our audience does like to hunt and fish and go camping. You take your woman, your wife out hunting and camp fishing with you and you don't wanna smell like a mess at night, sweat block will help you with that, help you and her. It will make you fresher, it's a perfect thing. If you're a hunter, fisherman, whatever, it is the perfect thing for you to invest in and to use it on your hunting and camping trips. If you wanna smell like freshly showered, as best you can on a hunting trip, so that if you take your girl out there, or if you just wanna smell better for your own benefit, Sweat block is the perfect thing. It's not gonna ruin your hunting trip. It, it's, it doesn't have some unique odor that's gonna wreck your uh, hunting trip. It's actually just gonna keep you fresh.
Uh, so you can get 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code FEARLESS. That's sweatblock.com with the promo code FEARLESS. Look, it's great for all kinds of situations. You got that big speech, you got a meeting with your boss, whatever, anything that makes you nervous. First date with some really hot girl or dude or whatever, and you don't want to sweat, Sweatblock is perfect. But I'm telling you, if you're a hunter, a fisherman, or something like that, you're gonna thank me later. I'm gonna make you smell better while you're out in the wild, taking on the wilderness and wild animals. They'll never see you sweat. They'll never smell you coming. And when you get home, you can actually hug your wife and kids without smelling like a big mess. All right, uh, Shamika Michelle, just around the corner. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for uh, Shamika Michelle uh, to join the party. She's here in Nashville with us. Delano uh, Squires is still on set with us as well. Uh, Shamika pointed out something to me uh, yesterday or this morning that we had to discuss. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if I know the guy's name. I think he calls himself maybe as Kima Ali, but someone told me he also goes with Sylvester Brown, or I, I, I can, he's responding to Dr. Umar Johnson, who said something about heterosexual black men and blah, blah, blah. And so here is the response over TikTok that has gone very viral. I believe the man is gay. Uh, here's his response or his rebuke of heterosexual black men. What exactly do y'all stand for? What are your goals and objectives? You know what, it seems pretty bold to ask something like that, seeing as how the only thing on most straight black men's resume is audacity. Y'all are literally the least qualified out of anybody in this country to lead somebody, but y'all always want to be in the front. But you know what, it's a special place in hell for a bitch like you that causes division amongst the entire community of people. Out of every subsection of the black community, y'all are the least educated and the most incarcerated. Please tell me what qualifies you besides between your legs to lead somebody into anything. Y'all always want people to breathe life into y'all, but at this point, it's just pure necromancy because we have no more life to give. Y'all suck the life out of every thing. I mean, let's call the thing a thing. Y'all want to be white men so bad. Y'all see white men at the heads of their household and y'all can't even get a household to be the head of. Asking women questions like, what do they bring to the table when you don't even own your table, you rent it. Hell, that's even if you do rent it, because it's probably in your mama name. I mean, if we could call the thing a thing, y'all are the common denominator out of every issue that we have in the black community. Y'all are literally the root cause. Blame black women for fatherless behavior, but then fail to realize that the father is the person that you're not blaming. Y'all blame men for being gay and say, yo, you grew up without a father. Do you see how you just pointed back to the issue? Y'all blame women for having too many kids as if they made them kids by themselves. You keep pointing back to the issue. Y'all be wanting people to hold y'all down, but at the same time, if they too good at it, then they too independent. Then you want to say, oh, yeah, you don't need me. They kind of don't. Maybe what y'all should start considering is that maybe our community is meant to be matriarchal. But y'all just can't accept it because it doesn't fit into what the white man has told you to believe. You're trying to do everything that the white man does, but you're just trying to do it in black. It's literally the same shit. I mean, y'all are the most homophobic, the most misogynistic, the most transphobic, the most colorist, the most texturist, like the most xenophobic. And you are the most likely to date outside of your race. Y'all are a walking contradiction and a walking joke, and it's not funny. 
I always want to talk about breaking generational curses and building generational wealth, but you don't even have life insurance. Anytime you die, we got to do a damn GoFundMe. Y'all can't even die right. Y'all been trying to stick this square peg in a round hole for centuries and it just doesn't work because you're not meant to be the head of the household. You were never meant to be. That's why the shit doesn't work. Dude said a mouthful. I think he goes by the name of Casanova Brown. I messed up at the beginning of this because we're also uh, joined from Las Vegas by uh, one of our soldiers, Rashad McCants. Uh, but we're going to start uh, with Shamika. Hey, I don't think I've ever seen the four screen with. Oh, I, I kind of like that. Uh, but I want to start with Shamika and just, I don't Man, he said a mouthful. What what most stood out to you? Well, there were a few things that stood out to me. And first of all, let me say that that thing between a man's legs is very important. And as a matter of fact, depending on the man, it can be a very big qualification. <laughs> so we put that out there first. Secondly, I'm not really surprised by what he was saying at all, Jason, because a lot of times men mimic their mothers. And so I feel like if you've been raised by a bitter black woman, this is what's going to come from you. I see this even in straight men that haven't had men around. They take on the characteristics of their mother. So you can get in an argument with them or a disagreement. And as soon as her neck starts to roll, his neck starts to roll because he has those characteristics that he got from his mom. So I'm not really surprised that he's saying this because we've heard this all from black women. I think my problem is that he wants to solve the problem with the problem to me. The problem to me is already that we are matriarchal and that is error. And for him to say that it's black men wanting to be like uh, white men, I think that's wrong because if you go back to Africa, not saying there weren't any tribes that were run by women, but it was predominantly men. So this isn't a Western or a white man thing. This, go back to your DNA, son. Men are supposed to be in charge. So for you to say that this is black men just want to be white and that's not what it is. We want men to take the lead because it's in their DNA. And if you look in America, black men were first broken down by slavery. Then they had to go through the Jim Crow era. Then you had that second wave of feminism that came through. We're trying to get men back to where they're supposed to be, their rightful place. And so for him to say that they were never meant to be the leaders, that's just wrong. That's one of the major comments he made that I completely disagree with, never, because there was a time where I would argue America's greatest leaders were black men. Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, Richard Allen, even before any of them. Uh, but I, I want to give, I want to make sure I leave y'all plenty of room. Rashad, uh, long time no see. What's your take on what we just heard from Casanova Brown? Well, listen up, man. Let's just start with this. We're giving these people too much energy, too much attention to really wreck the world. Like, men don't do this kind of stuff. 
right? So we can't say that these people are men. They're dudes who are confused. And so when you are a man, stuff like that don't come out your mouth. You don't use the word y'all in reference to other men because you want to identify something else. Like this is us giving them energy to be decisive and divisive and and really kind of separate what it is to be a man truly. Like if we ignore this, it don't get no legs. It don't go viral. Ain't no other man is going to retweet that, reshare that or send that to somebody else and say, let's talk about this. Man, everything he said didn't make no sense whatsoever. And you seen his mama in him every word that he said with his fingers, with his nails. Like I'm looking at a bitter black woman talk, diary of a mad black woman all over again. But we as men don't identify that this is the problem, that the bitter black woman is turning these beta males into leaders. So really what we need to do is sit back, let let this happen. Let these people come on in because at some point we're going back to the 300 days where we the Spartans. So the Spartans going to have to really take back of America by going door to door and saying, all right, where's the man at? Tell him to come outside. It's time to battle. And I bet you that guy that's talking on there, he ain't coming outside. Talking about something between your legs. He ain't coming outside. He's staying in the house. Mm, I think if we had to title uh, the guy's video based off what Rashad just said, mm-hmm. it would be called Waiting to Inhale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, Delano, I'm going to throw that at you. <laughs> you don't have to respond to that, but <laughs> anyway. So, so for me, a, a couple things came to mind, right? So let me, let me deal with this, because I know on, on this show, we talk a lot about men and men taking responsibility for, for the issues in their homes primarily and also in the community. So I, I think there's a, a, a critique to be made there. I'm not saying made this way, but, but I do believe men, particularly in the black community, do need to step up. We do need to take the initiative. I can't even imagine what the dating world is like now. I figure it's all you know, text messaging and, and commenting on people's Instagram posts, but no, I think, I think we, we need to lead our community. So. I'm, I'm not above black, straight black men, you know, uh, taking criticism. My problem is, and one of the things that I think we need to do is to identify people like this individual um, as emblematic of one of the problems that we're facing. I, I could easily see that guy on the front lines of some, on the, the background of some BLM protest, because mm-hmm. right now, um, you, you talked about there was a certain point in our history when black men were prominent national leaders. That's not the case anymore. The corporations, the media, they're always saying we, we're promoting black women and when they get black men, it's typically gay black men. For sure. That, that's, that is who, when they send out the casting call, that's who they're looking for. And my thing is a black community, we need to be able to identify that and say, look, we're at a point now where skin color is not going to cut it as it relates to who we are aligning with. It has to be based on values. And certain things need to be put out and certain things need to be let in. And my, my concern is that the things that he's saying that you can hear, as you said, from in feminist circles or other LGBT circles 
are starting to creep into even guys, straight black men, black men who are married, who start using terms like toxic patriarchy. Now these are guys are married and they got kids. Right. And they start talking about toxic patriarchy and oh, that's misogyny. So if you say, hey, I think, you know, black community needs more, you know, married couples and families. Oh, that, that sounds, you, you, that's respectability politics. That's patriarchy. So like a, a rotten apple in a bunch, the, the, the rottenness is starting to spread. And if we don't res- remove the apple, cut off some of the rotten pieces and um, go for a, a new crop or, or something to that effect, all of us are going to get spoiled. And that's, that's my concern. I think you've nailed it on the head in terms of as long as they can racialize values, Mm. we're headed for doom. Because values should, in my opinion, come from a biblical worldview and from God. And that has no race. And so what the man is really saying is those of you that believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and personal savior. Mm. That's actually, those are white values. That's not for you as a black person. And I just want black people, particularly black people who are caught up in race as their number one identity. And we've turned race into an idol. You need to retune your ears to hear what's really being said. And what's really being said is, your relationship with Jesus Christ is white and you need to reject that. And, and, and even, Jason, if you remember when Nick Cannon went on The Breakfast Club and Charlemagne asked him about, you know, all the kids that he has with various women, he said, man, marriage is a European construct and this and the next. And I'm just like, where is he getting this from? And one of the opportunities that was missed is that DJ Envy, who was sitting right across from him, and they can't have said, well, you got a bunch of kids too. DJ Envy should have said, I have five, about to be six kids with my wife. Right. That's different than what you're doing. You're playing Johnny Appleseed. You got one here, you got two here, you got three here. That's, we're, we're not the same. Right. I've committed to this woman all the fruit that we bear in our relationship. You, as I said, are spreading seed all throughout the community and you're blaming your lack of discipline on the white man. And I, so when I hear this person, Kima Ali or whatever his name is, saying the same things, I was like, he's, he's just as backwards as, as Nick Cannon is. And I was going to add to that, even with Nick Cannon saying that, he, like, justifying him spreading seed, even if you want to say this is a European thing and you want to go back to Africa, these, even if they had more than one wife, it was a wife and it wasn't spreading seeds everywhere with women that you were not trying to build with because they were still building families in order to build community. So if you are not building family, you're not going to have the community that we deserve as people. So you, you don't even deal with these women. And so I think that even with that, you can't even say that's a European thing without then saying, even for those that had more than one wife. They had more than one wife right. and they were still building families. I would I just like for people. Oh, go ahead, Rashad. Just one question. Was God, is God considered homophobic? Yes. We talk <laughs> yeah, about Solomon. We talk about, <laughs> we talk about Solomon Gomorrah. We talk about 
really, you know, the whole thing that happened when homosexuality was seen, it was immediately destroyed because he's seen it as an abomination. So if we're going to go back to the biblical sense of what we're talking about in society right now, we got to hit it on the head. We got to stop covering it up. We got to stop faltering these feelings for these people who are confused with reality. Like this is a confusion. This is not natural order in our paradise. Mm -hmm. And we're letting in the different elements that are having everybody triggered by words like the, that man, he's a boy. That that boy's a boy. We're letting a boy dictate a narrative for men. And and, and one of the crazy things, and, and Rashad mentioned natural order. One of the things that you see oftentimes, even within the LGBTQ community or whatever, one, th there's definitely a lot of interracial dating going on. <laughs> so I, I don't even know what he's talking about with that one. But the other thing is, I find it so curious. Oftentimes, when you see if either it's two men or two women. You can identify, and sometimes I say, I'll say this to my wife. Mm -hmm. I'll say, I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> I said, which, which one is the guy in this right. in this deal? Because <laughs> even when it's two women, uh, oftentimes the, the the butch woman mm -hmm. she got on the, the leather jacket and right. the baggy pants, and I said, oh, so even in this situation, mm -hmm. which defies the, the the God's order and the natural order, you all um, orient yourself in a way in which. One person is the lead, one person is dominant, one person with use of prosthetics and devices right. is, is pitching and the other person is catching. So exactly. you can't get away from it when you try it. Nature is undefeated. God is yeah. undefeated. Mm -hmm. He sets up a particular system in a, in a way and even the people who want to subvert that oftentimes have to submit to it even against their own will. That is so true. Well, well I, I just want to restate one last time to put a button because we're going to transition to this other topic is is all of it is just trying to d detach us as black people from a biblical worldview, trying to detach us from a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And and we need to hear it that way in terms of and, and see it that way. All of this conversation about race, right? Black this, black that. Are you? Be I saw something where Gabrielle. Someone sent me yesterday something Gabrielle Union said oh in a podcast interview, where where she was expressing regret for liking this Anthrax music. Anthrax is some rock band or whatever, and she was expressing regret and she was just wondering, was I just liking that just to? go along and to fit in, and then she was expressing regret, uh, something else, so some other kind, singing Sweet Home Alabama mm. around a campfire or whatever she was saying. Regret and and, for and that. she was, she was, yeah, she was saying that, that that was her trying to fit in, and did she really like it, and it, basically she was saying, I wasn't being black. And I was listening to this, I'm wow. like, how could this woman get to this age, right. and her whole life is dedicated to I gotta be the best, black person I could be, mm. that's just an unsophisticated, primitive, mm. particularly the way black has been defined in yes. popular culture, it, 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 it's, it's like, it's crazy. And, and she, I'm just like, why isn't she thinking about how can I just be the best person right. I could be, <laughs> remove yeah. color from, why don't we have that freedom? And, and again, it's almost like, we're being led into being 
black supremacists. We, we, mm-hmm. we spoke out against white supremacy, called it evil and satanic and all this other stuff. And now it's like, well, how can we be black? How can we spend our entire day in life thinking about how can I be black? And if white people were outstating, how can I be white? Yeah. And man, do I, I regret listening to that Johnny Gill song. <laughs> and was I, was I listening to Rub Me the Right Way, uh, trying to fit in? Or, what, or did I really like it? It was just good music. Exactly. That's how I feel about Alanis Morissette. Like, do I need to go now and apologize for liking, you know, that entire Jagged Little Peel album? That was a great <laughs> one. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think it's any coincidence that you, she's probably working overtime to make up for it with her stepson and pushing him into, you know, being the face of, of the, the transgender movement. And obviously we know the degree to which that movement and the racial movement have been fused. So I, I don't doubt that she's just like, you know what, what I didn't get to do when I was a kid, I'm making up for it now with Zaya or whatever yeah, his name So is. she's making her son be the woman she wished she was. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm gonna apologize to the viewers and the audience. We're gonna get to Jada Pinkett tomorrow. Uh, I gotta get to Tennessee Harmony. Uh, Bobby and Anthony are waiting and we got some good topics. I wanna uh, make sure I got plenty of time to spend with them on that. Delano's gonna stick around. Uh, Shamika will be here again Thursday and Friday. Back in studio with us, love to have you here. All right, uh, before we go, I wanna tell you about uh, my good friends over at Good Ranchers, you probably don't know, but over 85% of grass-fed beef in stores and online is imported from overseas. It is also often labeled product of the USA on its package, even when it's not truly from the USA. That means you could be buying low quality foreign beef and not even know it. That's why you should get your T-bones, ribeyes, fillets, and mouthwatering burgers from good old good ranchers. All of their beef is 100% farm raised and harvested here in the USA, which means you can get steakhouse quality at an affordable price while supporting hardworking American farmers. Take advantage of this limited time offer today. Use promo code FEARLESS at checkout or visit GoodRanchers.com FEARLESS for your 40 chicken breasts for free. Saving $150 with this deal is a great way to start off the new year. Stock up on quality beef, chicken, and seafood that makes a difference in your life and the lives of American ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Fearless to start 2022 on the best note possible. Free chicken for everybody. I mean, what could be better than that? What could be better than supporting Good Ranchers, people that support you, your point of view, and the good old U.S. of A. and support this show. All right, uh, Tennessee Harmony with uh, Pastor Bobby, Pastor Anthony, just around the corner. You do not want to miss this discussion. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for my favorite part of this show. It's Wednesday, that means it's Tennessee Harmony. That means Pastor uh, Bobby Harrington and Pastor Anthony Walker from Renewed.org are here. Uh, we're also joined by uh, Delano Squires, who's been in town this week uh, helping me uh, with the show. Uh, 
And so, uh, Bobby, since you've been out the past two weeks, I'll let you start us off with a quick prayer, bless this discussion, and then we'll get into it. God, thank you uh, that we could be here. We pray that our conversation would help all of us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk about a, a topic near and dear uh, to my heart. Pastor Mike Todd out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, Transformation Church out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I, I told you guys at the beginning of the show, I discovered Mike Todd at the beginning of COVID in April of 2020, an Easter sermon that was absolutely amazing. Maybe the best Sunday sermon I've ever heard. And I fell in love with his church, started supporting his church, watching his sermons, uh, one of his relationship books. I sent it to my sister and just, I'm a Mike Todd fan. Mike Todd messed up this past weekend. And let's, let's play the clip uh, that went viral and caused people to spend 48 hours criticizing Mike Todd. Changing something and you don't see it clearly yet. But you hear. <laughs> And this is where most people would not face Jesus anymore. Yeah, because the vision I'm about to give you, it might get nasty. And do you, do you hear and see the responses of the people? What, what, what I'm telling you is how you just reacted, is how the people in your life will react. When God is doing what it takes for the miracle, what are you saying? This man was blind, and what he was trying to do with this man is give him his DNA. <clears throat> Doesn't make sense to me, uh, but having followed Mike Todd for basically the past 18 months. I can't say that I'm shocked. He's, Mike is, I think, in his early 30s, leading an amazing, huge church, attracting a lot of young people. The first time I ever watched Mike Todd, I was put off by his style of dress. Thought he was doing too much. Uh, with his style of dress and pretty much every Sunday he does too much. That's about as conservative as I've ever seen Mike Todd dressed. And, but his words were so powerful and so enlightening and put together so well and the presentation that I got over it. And it was just like, man, what comes out of this dude's mouth is amazing, but he does try to do too much. And I recognized early on like, oh, because of his age, because of how much success he's having, there's a chance he'll go too far. It reminds me <clears throat> of me early in my column writing career in Kansas City. I was having so much success, and I was in my late to mid-20s, and it was just too much, and I made mistakes. I went too far sometimes in my column, uh, in, in the way I behaved uh, in press boxes and got into some trouble, and so I'm very hopeful and prayerful that he's gonna learn from this and, and recover and, and get back on track. 
But I, I guess my, my initial thoughts, guys, just like when <clears throat> you're, as Delano said before the segment started, the gospel is so strong, it doesn't really need to be dressed up. And then when you can deliver it as charismatically and as cleverly as he does, it really doesn't need all the extra stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's where uh, I was disappointed, but I wanna turn it over to the experts as quick as I can. I am gonna defend Mike Todd, because uh, I'm, I'm hopeful and I, I love the guy and, and love what they're doing at their church. But Anthony, I'm gonna let you get us rolling because I know in text messages this week, you got some strong opinion. So as a young minister myself, uh, as you just said, recognizing the word is what's most powerful. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. So early on in my training, I was mentored. I was trained by preachers. The highlight is not me. It's the word. There's three things that I try to do when I preach. One is to be as concise and clear as I possibly can. Their attention is valuable and they're donating it to me each Sunday. So I want to handle that with care to be as concise as I can. Two, I want to be as thorough as I can in dealing with the text, as thorough and as true to the text as I can be. What's being taught in the scripture? What is the text actually saying? Thirdly, I'm attempting to be memorable, not by any antics, but by the text itself. Jesus would tell parables. He knew that they would remember the parable, which was tied to the lesson. So all of that's what I'm trying to do. You may forget me. Sometimes even on this show, people forget. They may call me, you know, Pastor Bobby. That's fine. Forget me. But if you remember God's word, mission accomplished. So that's the angle for young preachers. Sometimes we may spend too much emphasis on what can I do to stand out? What can I do to be memorable? But we're forgetting to be concise. OK, we've gotten caught up in all this analogy. What's actually going on here or true to the text? You know, I've the text that he preached. I recently just preached that text. I've preached it. I've taught it. I've studied it. I've looked at it from all kinds of angles. When I went to Israel a couple of years back, you know, we we talked about the culture that was there. So I'm aware of all this stuff. He strayed far from that to make this point about vision. If he wanted to be, you know, passionate about vision, there are scriptures that illustrate that. You don't have to take this one and misuse it to illustrate that. If you want to talk about how extreme God is, you know, remember when God used Israel to defeat Jericho. Here are former slaves. They've never had any military experience. They came from slavery in Egypt and now they're fighting the most powerful military force on the planet in Jericho, fortified by these walls. God told them, here's how you're going to defeat them. Walk around the wall seven times. And then on the last day, scream at the walls. This is how you're going to do it. Wow, that's outlandish. That's crazy. But God did it. So if I want to talk about how amazing or how strange and lastly, um, you know, Jesus even healed a man by telling him to dip into the dirty Jordan River. It literally was unsanitary to do that. OK, but to spit on his, this guy. We don't have an indication that Jesus spit on the man's eyes. He spit on the ground and made mud. 
in that culture and time, they used salves all the time. There's a, a familiar passage. Is there a bomb in Gilead? They used bombs and salves. So to this blind man at the time, okay, here's another guy trying to heal me. Uh, he's concocted some type of salve to put on my eyes and told me to wash it. That was normal. So the audience then and the culture then would not have been as shocked and ooh, that's gross as what Mike Todd is trying to illustrate now. So, so he, he really wasn't handling the text. And I don't say that, you know, to judge him personally. As you mentioned earlier, he's a, he's a great orator. He has a way with words. He's galvanizing to a younger generation. And the best thing to get that young generation while you have their attention is the word of God. It's extreme. It's exciting. It's all of that by itself. Gimmicks aside, uh, that's I'll let them get in, but I, I, I could go further. But go ahead. <laughs> First time I met you, Jason, you told me about Mike Todd. I don't know if you remember. Oh, of course. Yeah. I tell everybody about Mike Todd. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I know that, uh, you know, you're you're one of his fans. Uh, and I like the fact that the next day he apologized for, you know, his antics. But I think if we want to talk about substance, uh, the bigger concern that I have with Mike Todd is, as best I could tell, his sermon had nothing to do with the text itself from John chapter 9. And uh, he was, in fact, using it because of the optics. Uh, and the optics were obviously exaggerated because of his spitting. He was using it to make a point that the text doesn't make. And so there's, there's more serious kind of questions behind it all. You know, any preacher can can make a mistake and do something that you think is going to work and then you went a little too far and it didn't work out. Uh, he should be forgiven for that kind of thing. The bigger issue is uh, of what he was doing with the text itself, and I think that's a problem. Mm. Lano, not, not an expert, but definitely want your opinion. So... Um, I know, again, I know, I know you're a Mike Todd fan, so I'm going to try to go as easy on Mike Todd as I can. I'll say this. I think the least problematic thing that goes on in Mike Todd's church is the spit on the face. Because we are talking, we're not talking about um, a pep rally or a motivational speaker. We're talking about a man whose job is to shepherd souls. And if you feed sheep synthetic grass, they're going to die. Mm. So I see the types of Mike Todd as, as emblematic of a particular type of preacher. Now, sometimes on our show, we'll talk about the social justice preacher, right? The prosperity preacher, health and wealth preacher is um, in the same line as the social justice preacher because both use Christ and the gospel as a means to a different end. The, the social justice preacher uses the Bible as a means to a political end. The prosperity preacher uses God's as, God as a means to a financial end. So it's, um, it's not uh, believe in God, trust in, repent, is not, it's rarely repent and trust in Christ mm. because if not, God's wrath is going to be poured out on you and you do not want to spend an eternity away from God's presence. It's not that, it's trust in God, your wife is going to look better. Mm -hmm. Your house is going to grow bigger. Your car is going to get fancier. Um, your, your, your bunions and your corns are going to go away. And all of those things are lesser messages. It's not yeah. that they're not good messages. Again, we're talking about 
um, where people will spend eternity. So, so, so when I see, you know, the, the types of things that Mike Todd does, it, it reminds me of a, of a scripture, and I'll read it really quick in 2 Timothy um, verses 4, verses 2 to 4. This is Paul writing to Timothy, mm-hmm. and his instruction is, preach the word, semicolon. Be prepared in, se- in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Here's, here's, here, here's, listen to what Paul's saying. For the time will come when, pe- when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So, so when I see Mike Todd, I see a, a, a preacher who has built a ministry on gimmicks, tricks, and schemes, and he knows that his congregation is building up a, a certain tolerance, the same way a drunk does with alcohol. So he has to keep going further and further and further. So I wouldn't be surprised if next week he show up on a jetpack and say, look, God is going to elevate you, and you're going to kiss heaven if you... D-. And that, to me, is the wrong message to be sending on a Sunday morning. And so Delano called that taking it easy. <laughs> and he just well, savaged. I told you I love Delano. <laughs> he just savaged Mike Todd. And, and so, and I can't, as a supporter of Mike Todd, sit here and disagree with everything you just said. I get something completely different. I get something completely different from Mike but I know exactly what you're talking about because even in the way Mike presents himself, just the way he should, I don't know if you guys are how into, but God loves flashy, the flashy clothes sure. to all of his okay. Jordan shoes okay. and uh, some jewelry and things like that. And so in his presentation, he's to look at me. And again, ministers have done it with the, thousand dollar suits and the Mercedes Benz is out front and all that other stuff for years. Sure. He makes it front and center from the stage. I get where I have because I'm not coming to church for that. Uh, and so I take I'm just telling you and, and maybe I'll bring in his or I'll send you guys his 2020 Easter sermon and some of the other ones that have just like really struck me like his words and what he taught me he about accessing the holy spirit and how if you can access the holy some of the issues you're dealing with in life these are the and because there's some issues within my family that i've tried to share with my brother and i think it was the holy spirit message was on mother's day this year that really helped my brother understand like okay this is what I have to tap into mentally, spiritually to, to deal with some issues going on in my family. I'm telling me and my entire family sat there on Mother's Day and was like, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. This mm-hmm. is so enriching. But what you're talking about, no question is there. And that's why, Bobby, even in me telling you when I first met you about Mike, I, I told you, like, now I'm a little worried because he's young and I've seen him spin off course. Yeah. And and he's had a best-selling book. Yeah. And he's a little bit active on social media. And so I'm like, the guy's chasing fame a little bit. And so I'm not even sure, and based because I watched his apology right before we started this segment. I didn't like his apology because 
again, if I'm apologizing, I'm just, I'm not dressed the way that he was dressed. I'm just not, I'm not, I don't have the hat and this hoodie on. Everything seems like a gimmick. And like, I'm the cool preacher. Mm -hmm. And if you're a celebrity, I'm the cool preacher, come with me. I wear y'all's clothes and all that. And so I'm hoping that he's gonna grow out of that because the word is that strong and his delivery of it is that strong. He doesn't need the gimmick. But I think what he thinks is, in order to attract young people in this modern environment, if I'm gonna compete with TikTok and all this other, I gotta put some TikTok in my delivery. It's a mistake in my view. Yeah. You don't, it's, he should be going in like, preachers should go in like, remember how Mike Tyson used to go into the ring? Black <laughs> yes. shoes, black shoes, no <laughs> right. socks on. It's like, man, he's Half cut towel. <laughs> he's coming with as little as possible. I got the Bible. Yep. What else do I need? <laughs> that, I don't see that from Mike Todd. Yeah. And but we, we have this expression, what you win them with mm. is what you win them to. Mm -hmm. And so if you're winning people with gimmicks and that kind of stuff, that's what you're gonna have to keep doing to keep the crowd and the audience. And so I, I just think there's some substantive concerns here long-term. You also, when you look at him, and I tried to, in, in preparing for today, do a little bit of uh, background research, and it looks like he's not been trained biblically. And his dad was a minister. Yeah. His dad was a minister, so, and his dad's involved in the church. Yeah, that doesn't mean he's trained. I got it, but I'm just yeah, yeah, giving yeah. additional information. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, Again, when you're, when you're teaching on John chapter 9, it should be about the point that John chapter 9 is making, right. and that had nothing to do with what he was saying. So a couple of things. Uh, one, I learned from my kids. Um, when my kids were born, uh, both doctors told us, you want to try as soon as possible to give them their vegetables first. Don't give them applesauce and all that. Mm. Give them their vegetables first so that they, they become acclimated to the vegetable, then you give them applesauce. If you give them applesauce first, mm -hmm. when you give them their greens, they won't want it. Mm -hmm. As a young minister, and you keep talking about he's young, I started at 11, and I went through a lot of training, went to, to Lipscomb, went to school. Even being young, you can adhere to the text. And one of the things that I was always encouraged to do, don't worry about the amens from the crowd, don't worry about being seen, the highlight is always the word. And I'm okay. There was an instance in John chapter six where Jesus was giving some hard teaching to them. He was actually talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Well, at the time, culturally, they thought he was talking about cannibalism. And there were those groups around that did that as well. And the Bible says in John chapter six, from that point, many of the disciples, followers of Christ, they left. And Jesus didn't, hey guys, wait, wait, hold on, I got, I got some more to say. All right, he turned to the apostles and said, are you guys leaving too? Mm -hmm. This is a point, the truth of the word that I'm giving is the point that I'm not moving from. If it's not palatable to you, if it's not attractive to you, fine, but I'm not moving from this. Um, and an example of that, uh, Delano used you know, Paul and, and Timothy, Paul himself was in a situation. He went to go uh, on one of his journeys to Corinth, very difficult city, kind of like our modern day Vegas is with all the sin and stuff. 
But at the time that he was going, Paul was persecuted. He was weak. He was kind of physically ill. But notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you my testimony of God. For I determined, key word, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not of persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, I intentionally came with two things in mind. One, I came weak. So physically, I wasn't in the best shape, but I came anyway because I didn't want you to be impressed by my philosophy. I didn't use fancy words. I didn't want you to be impressed by my presentation. I wanted your faith to rely on the power of God. So again, this is a pattern that I give to young preachers when I train them. Even guys that are wanting to teach at our church, when I'm training them, it's not about me, it's about the word. Now, again, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jordan fan too. You know, I, I got my, my Jordans and things of that nature. All of that aside, I'm not preaching that the more you adhere to the word of God, the more Jordans you're gonna wear. Or the more you adhere to the word of God, you'll drive a, you know, I'm not looking at that. And I, and I could care less if you don't look at that. That's fine, that's not what I'm bringing. I'm bringing the word. I want you to leave with, as you're leaving with some of the points that you're talking about, the Easter message that you got, you left with some nuggets, but you had to climb through all, okay, I can't really pay attention to what he's got on. Okay, well, that was an extreme example. Oh my, that didn't even, I'm trying to get to the word. What we're saying, at least as it relates to this message that he preached, he didn't even hit the, the main point that was there. He was a man that was blind from birth. Nobody at that time, he even says it, nobody at that time had been healed that was blind from birth. And he does it. That, that's powerful. The man's parents were brought in. It was a big thing. And Jesus was making a point to the Pharisees. You guys are, this guy couldn't help being blind. You guys are choosing to be blind to the truth. This man was blind, yet he still found a way to me you guys have me and can't see me. You're really blind. He's physically blind, but you're totally blind if you can't see Jesus. Like that right there is a powerful message in and of itself mm -hmm. that's galvanizing. Like, wow, let's preach that. But you take this one incident of him speaking, spitting on the ground and you build a whole lesson that misses the point. Mm -hmm. It sounds good. But what truth did the audience gain? When God gets ready to do what I'm going to get, the people around me are going to look at me like it's nasty. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, so I think um, the, the issue with uh, preachers and, and just Christians in general is that the, the Bible, I think, is the most misunderstood book in the world, right? You have books of history. You have books of prophecy. You have books of poetry. You have... Um, you have the Gospels, you have the Epistles, which are letters to, to new churches. And each of those, those books have to be taught in a particular way so that the, the hearer is getting the point of the scripture. Mm -hmm. What, um, and, I, and I can't say this is an American issue, but certainly in the West, 
what prosperity preachers do and even social justice preachers do, they use the Bible as if it's one big book of fables and allegory. So it's all about, you read the story, you, you read the text and it's just, okay, uh, what is in it for me, right? I think David and Goliath is probably the best <laughs> example of this. So instead of a person getting out of it that God can deliver his people, that no enemy is too great, that you know, he, he can use David and, and David can be sort of a foreshadowing of Christ to come who will be the ultimate sort of champion and king of Israel and so on and so on and so forth. It's, hmm, I'm having some prob problems at my job. My boss is my Goliath and my five best friends and my five smooth stones. So you, you turn uh, a text that points to God and you point it back at yourself. And I think that is one of, that's one of the reasons that this type of preaching is so popular in America because we are obsessed with personal identity, mm. right? Mm. We, are, we are racked with narcissism. Everybody's thing is, what about me, 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 me? How do I feel? And, and one of the things that that preaching does when you're not getting good, solid biblical teaching, that type of teaching is good. That's a, that's a good sort of peacetime message. But when wartime comes, and people yeah. say, oh, you're a Christian. So do you believe what the Bible says about sex and sexuality? You're gonna see people moonwalking like you've never seen before because <laughs> unless your feet are grounded in the word and you understand that the, the greatest thing you can take from this book is that you are a sinner and outside of faith, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you are going to hell. That's the biggest message. Yeah. And if you can't get that and all you see is, you know what? Oh, my sin is not a big problem. I'm better, to, I'm better than the next guy. So Jesus is really, he's my homeboy. He's my therapist. He's my, he's my uh, fitness trainer. He's my car salesman. He's my marriage counselor. Again, all of those things may be good in and of themselves. But one of the things I, I like to think of myself, I, I, sort of a, a, a rubric that I use is, if this message that's preached here can't be preached in the foothills of Albania or Siberia, or in the, the, the Congo, then it's not the gospel. Because the good news is portable and it's transferable. This stuff only works in an America where we are all narcissistic and trying to get, acquire more and more things. The, when you're <clears throat> listening to a preacher. Can I just say this? Yeah. I made the prediction that Mike Todd was gonna leave this discussion <laughs> standing. <laughs> But the ref is standing over <laughs> my child right now. <laughs> and I'm looking at Delano. Man, you said it was going to be nice, Delano. This is, this is nice. <laughs> I just want I just, I just to say this. When you hear a preacher, it shouldn't be, man, he is so great and he is so awesome. Right. It shouldn't be, I'm so great and I'm so awesome. It should be. Jesus is Come really great and now. awesome. And the guidance and the wisdom and the way of Jesus, it's so great. I just want to follow Jesus. That should be the outcome instead of people or so, self. So let me ask this, and I'm asking this for myself. Perhaps I'm trying to cover myself with a fig leaf. Is, is can, because everything Delano just said, Mike Todd's a narcissist. I, 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 from day one, from the first time I ever saw him, I was like, really talented, you know, the way he dresses, he's putting himself front and center with just the way he presents himself. But I'm able, 
at least I thought I was, to see through it and gather the good stuff. And that's, that's, I'm telling you, and I'm gonna share these with y'all, there's some messages and like, like really just struck home with me, create that feeling that you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm aware, cause that is what Delano's talking about is like, was part of my concerns like, is everybody else able to get this? Uh, does everybody else come at things the way that I do? And, and I'm just, the narcissism, because what he did on Sunday, I thought was very narcissistic, because l let's say you did think, you know, I want to use spit as an example here. Let's say that came across your mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're not a narcissist, you would have asked that man, mm -hmm. hey, spit in my hand, and I'm going to rub your spit on you. Mm -hmm. But because your ego has run amok, he thinks there's something special about his spit. Now, just out of mm -hmm. just common decency and concern, if I wanted to make some example with spit mm -hmm. on Delano's skin, I would humble myself and say, Delano, spit in my hand. Mm. I'm not going to spit in my own hand and put it. So I get it. I, I, Delano, you knocked him out. <laughs> These guys kicked him while he was down. <laughs> Anthony, I'm going to give you the final word. So there's hope. There's hope. That's where I wanted yes. to end. There's it's, hope. Yes. If, if it is youth, okay, if it is lack of training, if it is, okay, Paul was a guy who was passionate, et cetera, as Saul, but he was going the wrong way, okay? He, God calls him, gives him another trainer, gives him a good word, and sends him in the right direction. If Mike Todd is serious about his business, if he's serious about adhering to the word of scripture himself, mm -hmm. Hey guys, I got the same word I've been trying to give you guys. I got to repent. And if the followers that he has, if they're really following Jesus, which is what we're all to do, and they're not following him directly, they will follow the example that leads back to Jesus. And, and that's the direction he's got to go. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if Mike is serious about it, Turn from that kind of stuff. It's attractive. And the whole thing about fame is that like we've talked before. That's that drug that we want a little bit more of. So he'll never be able to top. You know, now he's going to be Michael Jackson looking for the next thriller. Mm -hmm. What's the next big thing I can do? But if you get them attracted to the word of God themselves, even when Mike Todd is gone, mm -hmm. the followers are going to say, man, did this word that I read the other day, it was powerful. So there's hope for that, for those that are following him, sometimes we mistake good psychological therapy mm. as a good word of God. And it's just, wait a minute, I got to be accountable for the things that I say. That's good, but that's not necessarily what the scripture was saying in this particular point or whatever point he's trying to make. So sometimes when people get something from <clears throat> him, it's some good psychological therapy. It's some good motivation. It sounded good. But because he started off with the scripture and then went his way, you know, we confuse the two. But there's hope. I pray for him and I pray for other preachers adhere to the word. Don't worry about your fame, your money, your job, et cetera. Adhere to the word. Preach it in season and out of season. Amen. Correct, rebuke, do that. The same time for me. I love to preach a sermon that gets a lot of amens. But sometimes I got to tell the church we got to repent. It'll be as quiet as a church house mouse in there. 
But you know what? I got to preach it. And I'll come home. I'll tell my wife, man, it was a tough one today. They sat there and looked at me, but I'm not preaching to their you know, appreciation. I'm preaching to make him proud. And if he says I'm proud, we're good to go. Lano, get, get out of the ring. Don't jump back in here. <laughs> okay, okay. Go to your corner. He's been counted out. He's got a standing eight count. He'll be all right. <laughs> I'm going to try to get this conversation to Mike. Uh, I've never connected with him, but from the first time I heard him, I've wanted to connect with him. Mm-hmm. And perhaps arrogance on my part, I just felt, man, he's going to need, he needs some older people around him that will stand up to him because he's on a course for too much influence and fame that he'll misuse. And it's just like, I, I wish I could. I literally, I wanted to go to Tulsa, but the, the, every time I w- tried to get there, the COVID thing, they, was, they weren't really having church. But thank you guys for the conversation. Helped me tremendously. I hope it helped our viewers. Uh, Delano, good job. Uh, glad to have you in town. Uh, Bobby, good to have you back. And next week, we'll talk about inclusion. I know Bobby's very passionate about that. Bobby's very inclusive about the food that he eats. <laughs> and so he'll expound <laughs> on that. Uh, next week. (laughs) I think that's tomorrow in my ear, and we'll see you tomorrow. Looking for the right sign, looking like it's my time, feeling all kinds of free. These words are our religion, our regrets, and our decisions. We don't want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. Raise up your hands for freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want.